Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also you can read my agent's take column at cbssports.com. This week we're going to look at two things. The implications of the NFL adding a 17th game and Vikings defensive end Daniel Hunter's discontent. First we'll start with the 17th game. On March the 31st at the virtual owners league meetings, um, the 17th game was approved starting in 2021, next this upcoming season, as expected. Now, there are some implications that that's going to trigger um, from an economic standpoint. Um, f- first and foremost, the player share of revenues was already going to increase from 47% uh, for the 2020 season or 2020 league year to 48% in 2021. Now, the addition of the 17th game and the new media rights deals increasing by more than 60% mean that ultimately the players are going to have their share increase to 48.5%. One thing that we don't have to worry about is an 18th game being added anytime soon. Um, In prior CBAs, um, the owners had the right to go to 18 games, <laughs> but um, unilaterally or without the players' uh, consent. That's not the case anymore. So this CBA specifically spells out that it's going to be no more than 17 games. So you can't have an 18th game until 2031 at the earliest because the CBA runs through the 2020 league year. Now, one of the big sticking points in the CBA negotiations, if it hadn't changed, I doubt the players would have ratified it, was payment for 17th game. At one point, the league was insisting on this payment for the 17th game being capped at $250,000. So no matter what your salary was for the season, that's base salary because um, you get your base salaries paid either – Every week or every other week, depending upon teams' payroll practices. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo has a $24.1 million base salary for 2021. Under the what the owners wanted, he'd be capped at 250. He's making, in a 17-week in a regular season, because it's 16 games plus the bye week, he's making $1,417,647 for when he has a $21.1 million base salary. You cap that at 250, he's out a little over 1.15 million that way. So that wasn't going to fly with some of the bigger players, um, um, not play, players with bigger base salaries, which obviously would be uh, your better players or your your more prominent or superstar type players, or at least Pro Bowl caliber players. Mm. So that was a concession that was made before the CBA was finalized on February 26. Now that February 26, 2020 is important important date for all this because of what it means to 17th game payment. Now, if you sign your contract before this date, and the reason that date is a cutoff is you were considered to have known that a 17th game would be in existence if you signed a contract after that date, 
So you could have tried to plan accordingly or use your leverage to get whatever you needed to in the contract because of that. But if you signed your contract before 226.20 and you are on the active and active roster IR for the 17th game of a season, when the 17th game is applicable, obviously, and you uh, haven't done any real renegotiation. And by that, I mean if you do a simple contract restructure for cap purposes, and even if you had automatically voiding years like we've seen a ton of guys do this year, you're still eligible uh, for the 17th game payment based on your base salary. If you do any type of real negotiation where you increase salary, take a pay cut, then no, you're not eligible. You're also eligible if you are released as a vested veteran, you're eligible for termination pay, haven't collected before, then that 17th game payment you can get, or if you have have a salary guarantee which would cover it anyway, you're still going to get it. Good thing is, from a cap standpoint, there's no cap charge for the 17th game payment. Um, it's going to come from performance-based pay pools. There's, there's a certain amount that um, gets covered from there, and if not, then it's a benefit to players. So, like a uh, league-wide, like a league-wide benefit. So it's not going to be considered a cap charge. So there's no additional cap charge. So some of these guys who got huge base salaries, then they're going to get a payment prorated to the amount of uh, the, their base salary. And like Jimmy Garoppolo is one of them. Jerry Goff had a 25.65 million dollar base salary before he did a 20 million dollar salary conversion where $20 million was turned into signing bonus. So he's going to get payment based off of his base salary. Um, you prorate that over the typical 17-game uh, payment schedule that we've had previously. That equates to a little over $1.5 million. Uh, Matt Ryan was scheduled to make $23 million before turning $21 million that was that's now prorated right, so, like signing bonus. That's a little over $1.35 million. Aaron Donald was scheduled to make $19.892 million uh, before turning $18 million into signing bonus. That's basically $1.17 for him. Uh, Russell Wilson, they haven't touched his um, base salary. He's making $19 million. That's That works out over 17-game schedule, 17-game week, payment week, 16 games plus one bye week. Um, that works out to $1.117 million practically. Now, a couple of guys who use base salaries that it does not apply to because of the timing of their contracts. Um, Ryan Tannehill, for one. Um, Tannehill, $24.5 million base salary. And Amari Cooper, $20 million base salary. Tannehill signed his contract on March 16th. And Cooper, March 17th, start a free agency. Um, or, or, so those guys are... Actually, they had extensions before the start of free agency. That's the timing of, of the deal. During that window of 52 hours, you can negotiate for other teams. So they don't get the bonus, but these other guys do because they're all signed beforehand. Ryan, 2018 contract. Uh, Garoppolo signed in 2018 as well. Goff, 2019 extension. Or t yeah, 20 extension. No, 19 extension. Russell Wilson, 2019 extension. Aaron Donald, 2018. Couple others. Uh, Von Miller does it as well. Gets the he gets the bonus pay. Um, Khalil Mack as well. They're both making 17 million or more. Um, so 
those, those guys, that's where it comes in. Um, there's a little known thing that in the CBA, which was in there regardless of a 17th game or not, but payment of base salaries is going to change uh, starting in 2021. As I was saying earlier, the base salaries were paid biweekly or weekly over the course of the 17-game regular season. For some reason, the NFL agreed to stretch out the payment schedule. The, since we now have 17 games in one bye week, so it's an 18-week regular season, now players are getting paid over 36 weeks. I don't know why the NFLPA agreed agreed to that. <laughs> I wouldn't like that from an agent standpoint or as a player standpoint. <laughs> but the payment schedule has now changed in contracts, all contracts that you're getting paid. That's in the that's in the CBA. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if you could even negotiate a better timing or payment schedule. I know in the NBA there's a set payment schedule, but there all there is also allowances where you can negotiate a better payment schedule. Cause that's one of the things we did for uh, um, Shaq, because as some of you guys may or may not know, my former boss, the guy who got me started in the agent business, Leonard Armato, represented Shaq, and I was still serving as a consultant for him when Shaq left the Orlando Magic in free agency. And one of the things we negotiated uh, was – an altered payment schedule and their salaries are guaranteed. So that's why it's, you could do it and probably can't do it. And it won't be allowed. Probably can't be allowed in the NFL. And since you have fully guaranteed salaries, you get payment in one lump sum and Shaq's contracts are all payable in one lump sum in July before the season started. So um, that's one allowance you can make. Now, something that um, are in contracts that I used to hate um, per game roster bonuses, which means you have to be active for that particular game to get paid. Some teams do them more than others. They first started with Carl Peterson, the former head honcho for the uh, Chiefs, and he put him in the contracts dating back to the early 90s. Then Andrew Brandt, when he was um, in charge of finances for the Packers, their salary cap negotiator and, and running the salary cap, among other things up there, he took and ran with what... Um, Carl Peterson was doing. And the Niners have become a team which puts a ton of per-game roster bonuses in contracts. Uh, so do the Patriots. I didn't like them from a from an agent player standpoint. I'd rather have the money in base salary because if you get hurt, you're out money. Because I remember there's one year Colin Kaepernick had a $2 million, $2 million of per-game roster bonuses. He missed half the season practically, so he was out um, a significant amount of money. Now, since we have now 17 games as opposed to 16, what does that really mean for these per-game roster bonuses? Well, David Bakhtiari's contract um, is a good example of how these work. Um, he's got $600,000 in, in game day active roster bonuses. Um, so the way his contract reads is it says he's got $600,000 payable in equal installments over the number of regular season games in which he participates for each game during the regular season. He's on the members, the club's game to active roster. Then it says the maximum player can earn pursuant to this clause is $600,000. And it further clarifies. It says if club participates in 17 regular season games in the 2021 league year, then he will receive $35,294.12 for each regular season game. So, Otherwise, it would have been 37500 per game. So they've taken care of it that way, made it very explicit 
that you're not getting an extra 35,000 in Hint's case because the uh, the additional game that you're capped at 600. So, and this is something that teams have been contemplating for a good three, four years. So, if we look at um, Stephon Gilmore's original contract with the uh, Patriots, which he signed in 2017, um, they spell it out as well. He's got $500,000 of these roster bonuses annually, and they put in an example um, of how it works, how it works for them. They also have the language saying that it's a maximum amount of $500,000 afterwards, but they clarify that they go, it's, they put in there, it's like uh, $500,000 by 16, 31, 2, 5 for a game. It's installment uh, is what he gets each game. And then they put as a final example by way of illustration only, if during the 2020 regular season, there are 18 regular season games to be played. And he's a member of the active roster for all 18 games. Then he's going to get $500,000 divided by 18, which would be $27,777.78. So they're already accounting for this way before we knew that there was going to be 17th game. They even put put the, the example there in case we went to 18 for some reason, that they were going to be covered. So just because you have a per game roster bonus, you're not getting an extra amount for the additional game because typically contracts will say the max you can earn is the full dollar amount you would would have for 16 game season. And they further clarified with examples to remove all doubts. Um, now, a couple interesting more things for the 17th game, which doesn't apply to any type of payment or anything like that. The record books are going to get watered down um, because of the 17th game. And one in particular last year would have been broken. Um, Derrick Henry, fifth most um, rushing yards in a season, 2,027. Um, Eric Dickerson's record of 2,105. If Derrick Henry, uh, Henry had played 17 games last year, he's at 2,154. That record would have been broken. Um, I suspect Peyton Manning's passing yards record is going to fall. The one he set in 2013 for 5,477 5, yards. That's basically 322.2 passing yards per game. That's been surpassed seven other times. That's what you need to break it, I should say. Um, there have been seven other quarterbacks who have uh, – that's what you need to break it, I should say, over a 17-game 17, 17 season. So there's seven other quarterbacks – besides Manning, or seven other times besides Manning, that someone has averaged that many passing yards per game. Breeze has done it five times. Um, ben Roethlisberger's done it once. Tom Brady did it once. That's probably going to fall by the wayside. Michael Strahan's sack record, probably gone. Justin Houston, Jared Allen got close. They both had 22. Houston in 2014, Jared Allen in 2011. So that's probably going to go as well. Um, I don't... No, if Calvin Johnson's receiving yards record is going to go of 1,964, he set that in 2012. Julio Jones would have broken in 2015 when he had 1,871 8, yards. He's at 1,988. Um, if he kept his average per game up, then he would have gotten it. Um, Peyton Manning's touchdown record, possibly. That's uh, 55 TDs. Um, no one's within five of him. I mean, two people are within five of him, both Tom Brady and um, Patrick Mahomes um, had 50. You had the 17th game. They still don't get there. They're at 53, but now we could go as well. So that's going to be another impact, but we were focusing more on the uh, financial ramifications of the 17th game um, for this. But I just wanted to touch base briefly on a couple of the records that were – 
going to uh, potentially fall because of the 17th game. What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with Inside the Cap, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL, high-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. Okay, let's turn our attention to uh, Daniil Hunter. Um, Vikings head coach uh, Mike Zimmer um, had a uh, conference with the uh, media uh, last week, and one of the things that came up was uh, Daniil Hunter. He said he was unconcerned about um, Hunter's mindset. And the reason that this even comes up is a couple of weeks ago, Hunter made insinuations that he could hold out or ask for a trade if his contract isn't, isn't addressed. This is a tone deaf for a couple of reasons. One, Hunter missed all of the 2020 regular season for neck injury. Um, and this isn't the first time his discontent for his contract uh, has come up. There were reports last fall while he was on IR that he wanted to become the highest paid defensive player in the league or traded. This is something we could have seen coming a mile away that Hunter was going to be unhappy with his contract. So, I don't have a ton of sympathy for Daniil Hunter because of what he did um, in 2018 as a 23-year-old. Hunter was heading into the final year of his rookie contract, and at the end of that June, he signs a five-year, $72 million extension, averaging $14.4 million per year, which had a million dollars in base salary escalators for each year, where if he got $500,000 for 13 sacks, and he got another $500,000 um, for 15 sacks. Well, there's one big problem with signing your extension. The timing was terrible to take that deal. We knew in 2018 that the $20 million per year pass rusher non-quarterback was on the horizon. We had two guys that were holding out that if they signed deals, were going to eclipse $20 million per year before the regular season started. Aaron Donald and Cleo Mack. Guess what happened that September, right around Labor Day? Aaron Donald signs for $22.5 million per year. A couple days later, Cleo Mack gets traded from the Raiders to the Bears, signs an extension for $23.5 million per year. Um, All Hunter had to do was go out and have a pretty good year, decent year, putting pressure on the quarterback, and the Vikings were going to be forced to put a franchise tag on him. The franchise tag in 2017 that DeMarcus Lawrence signed was $17.143 million. I should say in 2018, he signed. So, if you didn't want to try to figure out what the franchise tag was going to be for Hunter, all you had to do was do a rough estimate. and go, oh, it's probably going to be no worse or right around the ballpark of Lawrence's. So, we'll say $17 million at worst. If, if he does, goes out, and this is a guy who had 12 and a half sacks his second year, um, in 2016, then seven. 2017, let's say he gets like nine, nine and a half, ten. They were going to stick a franchise tag on him. Anybody should have known that. So I understand where the four, the cap of the salary came from. You had Everson Griffin at 14 and a half million per year. So you didn't want to make, the Vikings may have been thinking, we can't have him make more than um, Griffin. 
Yeah, it's one thing to sign a below market deal. It's another thing to give up five new years. So you're under contract through 2023. He's got three years left on his contract right now. So if you were going to do that, sign for below market, given your age, you want another bite of the apple as soon as possible. You don't give up any more than three new years. You give up three new years, you would be up after the 2021 season. I have no sympathy for any complaints that Daniel Hunter has. Because guess what happened the next year? First, that insult the injury. had Trey Flowers, who hits the open market in free agency because the Patriots didn't franchise him. He goes and signs for $18 million per year. Flake, Trey Flowers can't hold a candle to Daniel Hunter as a pass rusher. $18 million per year, $56 million overall guarantees, $40 million fully guaranteed at signing. Then, a guy who gets franchised, Frank Clark. Franchise tag number, $17.128 million. What does he do? Signs for $104 million over five years. Averages $20.8 million per year. $62.305 million guaranteed. $43.805 million fully guaranteed at signing. Demarcus Lawrence gets a second franchise tag. What does he do? $21 million per year, five-year deal. $65 million in guarantees. $48 fully guaranteed at signing. That's on you, Daniel Hunter. All you do is wait. Play it out. You're in a $20 million per year pass, pass rusher club. We're not having this conversation. So the market's changed dramatically. Miles My, Garrett um, over the summer became the first $25 million per year non-quarterback. Then uh, a couple of weeks later, after we had the uh, first floor for the 2021 salary cap, uh, set at $175 million. Joey Bosa signs for $27 million per year. Highest paid defensive player in the league. $135 million over five years. $102 million overall guaranteed. $78 million fully guaranteed at signing. So we're going to have a guy who's going to probably make close to double on average, if not, if not double it, um, of Hunter. Once T.J. Watt gets a new deal done, new deal done, he's in his fifth-year option. T.J. Watt, very easily, I, there's no deal if T.J. Watt doesn't surpass Joey Bosa. I don't know if he gets to 30 million per year, but he could get to 28 and a half, 29. So yeah, you have a right to be upset with how much money you're making, Daniel Hunter. The problem is, it's your own damn fault because you signed a deal you shouldn't have signed. Yeah, um, you talk about you could hold out. Good luck with that. You know what happens now when you hold out? Fines are mandatory. They can't be forgiven. That's $50,000 per day. We're not even talking about any signing bonus recoupment, um, which is a whole different issue. Training camp lasts 35 to 40 days by CBA definition. So we're talking like a fine, like $1.75 million or more that they can't forgive or reduce. Now, your biggest saving grace is the fact that the Vikings have set a precedent of reworking a contract when a player has outperformed it. And yes, you have outperformed it because you had 14 and a half sacks in your contract year. Then you followed it up with 14 and a half sacks the next year. You went to the Pro Bowl both times. But your saving grace is there is a gross inequity with Adam Thielen's contract that he signed as a restricted free agent in 2017. He got a new contract of two years remaining. They'd taken care of Stefan Diggs, who was making, coincidentally, $14.4 million per year, just like you are. 
So they had to adjust Thielen's contract. They did it with two years left. Not three, two. And Thielen was healthy and putting up thousand, having thousand-yard seasons. You're coming off of an injury when you didn't play. So to me, you don't have a lot of leverage. Now, if the Vikings want to do something, I don't think they're going to redo your deal and address it now. That's probably You're probably a year away from that, coming back and showing that you're healthy. I don't think they're going to trade you. You have to make a big stink. That's how Stefan Diggs got out. <laughs> he made a big enough stink on Twitter that uh, they traded him to the Bills. Um, but they also had Adam Thielen there, who complained they were able to draft Justin Jefferson, who's been a great replacement for him. So that's a win-win trade. Now, if I'm the Vikings, what I might consider doing this year for you is something similar to what was done with um, Julio Jones a couple of years ago and Antonio Brown when he played for the Steelers. Antonio Brown had signed a deal a long time ago when Mike Wallace was a restricted free agent, which uh, ended up grossly underpaying him when he turned into Antonio Brown, arguably the best receiver in the NFL. Um, they didn't address his contract. They typically don't address contracts in a contract year in Pittsburgh. So they started advancing money out of future years and making a small conversion of base salary plus a new money and a signing bonus to lower the cap number. So maybe they take about $3 million, advance it, and turn it into a signing bonus because you got a pretty high cap number, $70.25 million. You're scheduled to make $12.75 million total and $12.125 as a base salary. So maybe they get a little bit of cap relief and do something like that for you. Falcons did something similar to Julio Jones when he had a holdout a couple of years ago. Then they addressed his deal with two years left. Um, Browns was addressed with one, gave a new contract then. Jones with two. Or if they didn't want to do that, since you didn't play last year, anything that you do this year, if they added incentives, would be considered not likely to be earned because it's based on what you did the following year, the previous year. So they could add a bunch of not likely to be earned incentives to give you money based on you performing somewhat like an average starter or a great starter. If they wanted to go that route um, as well. That's just a couple of ways they could address your contract. Um, but having three years left on your contract, and yes, there was a contract address with three years left last year. DeAndre Hopkins got a new deal with three years left in a trade situation from the Texans to the Cardinals. They gave him a two-year extension of $54.5 million, but that's rare. The contracts get addressed for three years. You're probably a year away from anything happening, plus coming off the neck injury. I'd want to see if you could actually regain your form before I do anything to your contract. But as I said before, you get no sympathy from me because this is your fault. Because you signed a deal you should have known better than to sign at the time. It's one thing if you have a player who just totally changes circumstances where no one anticipates. Let's let's say like Trey Hendrickson had signed an extension with the uh, Saints last year, and it was going to pay him like 7-5 a year because based on what he did um, up until that point, that would have been fair to be like a situational pass rusher. And then he started consistently being what he was last year. Yeah, I'd have sympathy for that guy because nobody saw that coming. We saw this coming from you. You'd had a double-digit sack year. We All you had to do was be patient, wait for the market to change. Then if you wanted to do the renegotiation at that point, you could have built off of the contracts of Mac and Donald, but you were impatient, jumped the gun, or you wait, play, out, play it out. 
you couldn't have done any worse than what you actually signed. If you had a bad year, maybe you sign a one and then go back and hit it again. But this is your fault. No sympathy from me. Hey there, it's John Kime of the John Kime Report podcast. I'm glad you're enjoying the Inside the Cap podcast with Joel Corey. When you're done, I invite you to listen to my podcast. Twice a week, my guests and I discuss the Washington football team and the NFL. The show features numerous NFL insiders, former and current players and executives, and taps into the insight gained in my 25-plus years covering this franchise. Check out the John Kime Report, another fine product offered by Empire Media. But that's it for this week. Thanks for listening to this uh, episode of Inside the Cap. Um, don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also, I have my regular Agents Takes column on CBSSports.com. We'll see you back here next time.